If you've got retirement questions, we've got retirement answers. Today, we'll be answering your top retirement questions. This is Retirement Revealed, where Jeremy Kyle and his guests guide you towards making smarter retirement, investment, and tax planning decisions. Welcome to Retirement Revealed. I'm your host, Jeremy Kyle, and we're here to turn your retirement savings into retirement income. And I said, what's going through these top retirement questions, I brought my producer, Patrice Sikora, on here to help us through them. And Jeremy, you tell me, journalists are asking all these questions again and again and again of you. Why? Why are they the same questions, do you think? Yeah, these, these questions that we're going to go through are similar to a lot of the ones that our clients, the people that are talking to us, are, are asking. And it's been interesting that uh, we're on a few lists where journalists are sending out questions, looking for help, looking for guidance for their, their articles. And we thought, let's just go through the most recent ones, the ones that are most uh, asked a lot, right? They're being asked uh, most often. And I, well, you are in journalism, right? Yeah, you're, you're, you're in radio and, and so forth. And generally, a journalist is trying to just answer what their readers, what their listeners are looking for. Right, exactly. And I thought, who better to trust about what the top questions are out there than the journalists at Yahoo and CNBC and US News, all these people that are trying to just answer what's on the top of mind for the general public. And they've all come to you for the answers. Well, there's, yeah, I say, they, I'm one of many, one of many. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, been, it's been fun over the last three or four years that we've been answering these questions. I've gotten to meet a few of the, the journalists and, and talk to them. And uh, it, it's just great. It's nice mm -hmm. to be able to get some quick education out there uh, about all these topics. And lately, we're just going to go a bit about what's lately out there. Lately, they've been about Social Security and interest rates. Those seem to be on mm -hmm. the top of mind the last, last year or two. Uh, especially. So we're going to go through are, some of these. And, 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 and both are not very easy topics. They're, they're really in-depth. So go for it. Yeah. In a bit of a way, I think the reason people are interested is they feel as if uh, they have less control over what's going on with Social Security. We talk about a lot about control mm -hmm. here. You have less control over your interest rates. It's, and that's, that's somewhat true, right? It's the Federal Reserve that sets interest rates in the overall economy for the short-term area. The bond traders that are trading trillions of dollars are setting interest rates for the long term. It's it's like you have less control, but I think you have a lot of control on what you do with your social security, what you do to get your higher interest rates. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about investments. We're saving that one for the end, but the social security questions and the interest rate questions, uh, we, we broke those down kind of into some sections here that uh, we just want to go through, make sure everyone's got a top of mind for them. And I think probably a big question for everybody getting ready to retire is Social Security. Is it going to be enough for my retirement? That's right. That was a, a question we got most recently. And I'll have a link to the Yahoo article that said, well, Social Security will be enough for reasons to focus on private retirement savings. And uh, I hate to say the answer, no. Will Social Security be enough in retirement? Uh, I, I don't like to be so much in absolute. So I'm going to say probably not. And here's why. Social Security is designed to replace only a percentage of your income. It's not designed to replace all of your income. So mm -hmm. it probably will not be enough. In, in fact, the way that's designed is it's it's there to replace certain percentages based on how much income you've averaged over your lifetime. So if you have a, a smaller amount of averages, right around 13,000, if that's your average 
lifetime wages, then Social Security is designed to replace a lot of it, actually 90% of that 13,000 or so. And I'm saying or so because it changes every year. And we'll have links to the exact uh, percentages, the exact dollar amounts where they change. But well, roughly speaking, the first 13,000 of your earnings, Social Security is designed to replace 90% of it, which sounds like a lot. Not uh, though. 13,000, Jeremy, that's- That's right. The percentage is high, but only on that first small dollar amount, mm-hmm. smaller dollar amount. Then the next 67,000, yeah, those two, you get to about 80,000, which is probably about an average uh, income. So this is thinking of kind of an average American there. That level from 13 to about 80, that next 67,000 or so per year of earnings, it's only designed to replace 32%. Social Security basically says, good for you for earning an average income. We're here to replace a third of it, right? You're on the hook for the rest of that. Then there's the other folks that make about 80 to 160 on average, and it's only designed to replace 15% of that part of the income. And if you make more than 160, every dollar you make above that maximum earnings, about 160 is the, the level in 2023, zero. It's not going to replace any of that income above that amount. So Social Security is designed to replace a percentage of your income, not all of your income. You're really on your own for the rest of it. And you know, personally, and just my own politics, I think that's okay. Like I think it's, it works out that it's designed to replace a lot for the, the people that need it. And the people that have the extra ability, even in the, in the averages of incomes that are out there, you're on your own. You've got to come up with your own savings. You've got to plan for this uh, ahead of time. So that's a big reason why Social Security is likely to not be enough in retirement. But here's another reason, uh, and that's one to keep in mind, is when Social Security says, here's what your amount is, and you, you get that benefit statement, and there's a big dollar amount uh, up top, that is your promised amount at your full retirement age, which for a lot of people now is 67. Let's just round up and say it's 67. Well, a lot of people don't take their social security at 67. A lot of people take it before 67. It's more than half of people take it below uh, before their full retirement age. And if you take it at the lowest, the exact lowest, which is age 62, and 67 is your promise date, that amount would be 30% lower. So even if you look at it and say that number, whatever it is, 2000, 3000, whatever the number is, that'll be enough. Well, that's enough. If you take it at your full retirement age, you might be tempted. You might need to, you might go ahead and take it at your earliest age of 62. And that number you thought was enough might be 30% lower. So that's the the two, two reasons there why social security is probably not going to be enough for your retirement. The first is that it's not designed to replace all your income. And the second is whatever amount they're promising you is a promised amount at your full retirement age. And chances are you're taking it before full retirement age, which is taking it at a discount because that's what most people are doing. Oh, but wait, wait, Jeremy, there's more. We get a cost of living adjustment, don't we? That's right. That's what a lot of people are asking. Uh, it seems like you asked that towards the end of the year. The journalists have caught on to this. They're, they're very wise. They know exactly when the Social Security cost of living is announced. Uh, it's mid-October every year. It's when the uh, inflation numbers are, mm-hmm. are sent in. And so you, you take a look, especially now, where two years ago in, in 2022, the increase was almost 6%. In 2023, 
the increase was almost 9%. And so you're kind of wondering, is it going to be that high? What's it going to be? Well, the answer right now is it seems like around 3%. Uh, if you're listening to this in mid-October of 23 or later, you ought to know. You can go to our website, retirement-reveal.com, and we'll put what the cost of living raise would be. But all the projections, uh, all the people that uh, keep an eye on this, and we keep an eye on it too, are, it's, it's trending towards about 3%. And I say trending because the way that it's figured out, it, Social Security is a nice thing where this cost of living is there to help you kind of keep even, right? Mm. If inflation goes up by a certain amount, it's supposed to, Social Security is supposed to go up by a similar amount so that you're, you're breaking even. You're not losing that purchasing power, uh, they call it. Well, keep this in mind though. If you're wondering, why did I get a almost 6% raise and almost 9% raise, and now they're only giving us a 3% raise, you know, whatever that number comes into and it's trending towards that 3%, the only reason that there's a raise is because there's inflation. It's mm -hmm. kind of like, what would you rather have? The inflation or the, the raise, right? Prior to 2022, before this, uh, this big pop, right? The 9% almost, the 30-year the average of cost of living was about two and a half. And here we are looking like next year, 2024, might be around 3%. We're going to call that about normal. Call that about the averages. So hopefully this is actually a sign. If the cost of living and you, you open the paper and you, you check online, it says it's about 3%. That's just reflecting what the inflation has been over the last year or so. And you'll get that extra amount in 2024 for you. Uh, hopefully that's a good sign that inflation is maybe not going to be so high going forward. Maybe that things are back to normal. And especially as we're entering election year, I think we all want a back to normal, right? <laughs> oh, don't hold your breath. But the Fed does look like it's getting very close to engineering that, that soft landing that everyone said they couldn't do. That's the hope. That's exactly the hope. And so that's, that's top of people's mind is, is will Social Security be enough? Once I'm on Social Security... Uh, what's that cola raise going to be? And I'll tell you this uh, answer. Here's a bonus question for you. Everyone was asking me this last year is, do I need to file for my social security to get that cost of living adjustment? And the answer is no. Uh, you don't have to be actually filed and collecting social security to get that cost of living adjustment, whether it's a high amount or a low amount. They kind of just put that in there. They, they bake it in there so that you're you're good to go. You're not missing out just because you haven't filed. And that's one thing we'll be talking about pretty next is when you should file. That's a big question. I think a lot of people, when should I claim? You're, you're mentioning 62. You're mentioning 67. What if you don't even collect 67? What if you can wait? What's the difference? Yeah, that's a big question. When should I claim Social Security? And it seems like it's this big balance of you want the highest amount of your lifetime. You want the highest amount next month. Uh, you're worried about what's going on with Social Security. Uh, Forbes reached mm -hmm. out to me and they had some quotes. I got quoted in both articles. One was five reasons why you should take your Social Security as late as possible. And one was five reasons why you should take your Social Security as early as possible. <laughs> so they, they give you both sides of it. Um, sound like a little political, talking two sides out of their mouth, I think. But you should go through and understand if you take it early, here's the reasons why. If you take it late, here's the reasons why. And we'll start with the early uh, piece of it, of if you're trying to claim, and of course, I would tell you the way to find the best time to claim your social security is to work with a financial advisor that knows about social security, knows about tax planning, knows about longevity, and helps you figure out when are you likely to live 
uh, and how long are you likely to be claiming for? And they understand the difference between the higher earning and the lower earning social security amounts. So we're going to talk about all that. So let's start with here's reasons. Here's kind of, um, what was that, uh, Jeff Foxworthy? Like here's, uh, here's some signs you might, you know, you might be a certain person. Well, here's, here's some signs why you might need to file for social security as early as possible. Right. <laughs> so the, the first one is you, you need the income. Uh, and I've got some caveats about almost all of these on taking early. A lot of people say I need to take social security because I need the income. Well, we talk further with them and I agree with them. They need the income, but there's other ways to get the income. And a big one is a lot of these union and government pensions allow you to file uh, for the pension or retire early, like at age 55 or 57. And the way that they help you do that is they give you a really big boost until you're 62 and then it cuts down because kind of the thought oh, is wow. we'll give you the extra boost mm. until you're 62 and then it cuts down because then social security will come in at 62 and take the difference. So you might be on these government pensions or union pensions where uh, you're losing 1500 a month, 2000 a month at 62. And you say, I need the money. And I agree, mm. you do need the money, but does that mean you need social security? So uh, yes, one big reason to take social security is because you need the income. But I would just caution that to say, well, do you truly need social security to be where you have the income coming from? So a lot of these people that have the, the pensions, they also have a 457 plan, a 403B plan, and they've got money available that they could take out and they could kind of bridge that difference until a later date when maybe that is the better time for them to take social security. So I would say, yes, needing the income from social security is a reason to take it earlier, but also uh, social security is not the only place you can get your income from. A lot of people uh, I run into have abilities to take the income from somewhere else. So just, just keep that one in mind uh, for a reason why you might take social security as early as possible. Another reason that I hear all the time is, well, I've got health issues. I'm not uh, going to live that long. And that's right on. That's a, a decent direction to make your bets is saying, if I'm likely not to live that long, then I should take social security earlier because you know who gets my money uh, afterwards? It's, it's kind of gone. Well, if there's two of you, remember it's not about what are my health issues. Think about the us that's out there because it just might be that if you have the health issues, perhaps your spouse doesn't, right? And perhaps your spouse will be needing to live on your social security later on if you pass on early and you might be wanting to maximize your survivor benefit. We'll talk about that later on. So you may might be hearing my um, my tilt towards what what's is often the better way to go uh, when it comes to Social Security by me saying yes. Here are some reasons to take it early, but here are some caveats. And I when I hear all these reasons, a lot of times uh, there's a lot of different things that are that are out there that might uh, suggest you don't necessarily need to take it early. Uh, another one, and this one, I'm I'm tilted. I think this is where they actually quoted me, is where if both you and your spouse are eligible for Social Security, you might want to take it early. And the reason why, and let's just let's just pretend mm -hmm. there's, there's two of you. There's got to be two of you if there's a, you and a spouse, <laughs> right. uh, and you're not sure when you take it. You know, do you both go at 65? Both go at 67? Do you both go early? Well, one bet to make is well, what if one person takes it earlier, one person takes it later? And if that's a, the bet you want to make, which I think is often a good good way to go, you would probably want to take the lower Social Security earlier, because mm -hmm. when the first person passes away, 
the lower social security goes away. doesn't matter who dies in the couple. And so if the lower social security is going to be the one that goes away, why not take it earlier and get that amount uh, for as long as you can? So that's something to, to keep in mind uh, is not just your own health, your own longevity, but it's kind of a, how long might my spouse live, whether it's a long time or maybe a, a short time. So that's something to keep in mind. And if you kept with that higher number that you're not taking, remember that's going to grow over time as well. So it will be even that's exactly it. later on. That's, an, that's, a, that's part of the reasons why you might take it as late as possible. Mm-hmm. Let's finish up on the early one. Here's one. You might need to take Social Security early for your spouse to get spousal benefits. And uh, it turns out if your spouse did it, did not have the 40 quarters, roughly 10 years of earnings, and or maybe it's a really low amount, if they want the spousal benefits, you have to be filed. So a lot of times like the simple math is, oh, I just wait as long as possible. Well, it's not so simple if you waiting is what is causing your spouse to wait, right? If you take it early, you now can get your spouse to get those spousal benefits. It's not, like you said, it's not very easy when it comes to social security, but that might be an encouragement to take things earlier than you planned for if the only way for your spouse to get benefits or maybe to get more benefits is for you to take your social security. And of course, uh, the deadlines or the headlines need to say uh, something you know dramatic. Take it as late as possible, take it as early as possible, right? You gotta do that to get people to, to read it through. I'd encourage you to think, well, this these are reasons why maybe I'll take it earlier than I planned for. Not necessarily 62, but it could be, but just these are reasons why you might take it earlier than you planned for. Uh, the last one they gave uh, is what if you're concerned about the future of Social Security? And I would just encourage you to look at the math. We've done some episodes about how Social Security is looking in the future. And yes, the trust fund is scheduled to go away in about 10 or 12 years. But also, yes, Social Security is going to have 80% of the money that they promised you. So I would encourage you to do the math to say, is it worthwhile to take my money early in case they cut it later on? I'd encourage you to do the math, but that later on amount, I would have you look at 75 or 80% of your promise, right? If they promise you 2000 bucks, maybe do your spreadsheet based on $1,500 or $1,600, whatever it might be, where it's the real math as opposed to zero. A lot of times you're you're thinking social security is going to go away, so I better just take it now oh, because yeah. it's going to go away to zero. It's it's not designed to go away to zero. It's it's very unlikely to go away to zero. So go ahead and do the math. And maybe it does encourage you to take it earlier than you would have otherwise, but uh, do the right math. And it, I would not put a zero in there as far as here's what social security is going to give me in the year, you know, 2034, 2035, whatever it might be. It's Jeremy Kyle here. And I know you're listening to the Retirement Reveal podcast because you want to learn more about making great retirement decisions. I've created a free video course for you to do just that. Head over to 5stepretirementplan.com and sign up to receive this video training right in your email inbox. We broke down our five-step retirement plan into bite-sized videos so you can get started on the retirement, investment, and tax planning you need to create a consistent retirement income. Go to 5stepretirementplan.com, use the number or spell it out, you'll get there either way. 5stepretirementplan.com. Thanks for listening, and now for the rest of the show. So how about taking it later? Tackle yeah, on the flip side, here's reasons. Here's uh, you know, here's signs that you might be taking Social Security as late as possible. One of them is what if you have a long life expectancy? It's kind of the, the opposite, right? If you're expecting to live a long time, 
why not wait on Social Security and let them pay you that higher dollar amount for a longer time? Uh, but I'd encourage also too, it's not just the you, it's what about your spouse, right? If you're if you're married, and especially if you have the higher one, then that's a, a, a reason to, to wait so that it's there for both of you. It's there for the surviving spouse because that's what shows up is that higher amount on there. Another reason to wait is what if you just don't have enough saved for retirement, right? The, if you don't have enough saved for retirement, it's it's interesting. A lot of people, it's almost the, it's almost the same answer to uh, take it early. Like, hmm. well, I just need the income. If you need the income, maybe because Social Security, like we said, is not designed to replace all of your income, right? If you if you need the income, maybe you could keep on working. Maybe you could keep on saving. And then that will help grow your Social Security. You'll have more income counted for you. You have more years counted for you. And it's a little morbid to think, but you also have less years you're relying on it. So having not enough save for retirement might encourage you not to take it right away and get what you can, but also it might encourage you to keep on saving, get yourself a higher retirement amount from Social Security. That'll, that'll help your monthly budget for sure. Speaking of working, another reason you might take it as late as possible is if you're still working, right? If you're still working and you're enjoying it, and especially if you're below that full retirement age, uh, it might be useless to file for Social Security because you wouldn't get it any anyways. It's roughly 20,000 or so where if you earn above that amount, below your full retirement age, then they start kind of withholding. And the term withholding is right on because it's like they're going to withhold it and find a way to pay back to you later. And it gets complicated. The thing to keep in mind is that if you're still working, you might not need the money. So why not let it grow at 8%? Or you might not be able to even file for Social Security anyways. You're young enough, you can't file for it anyways. So that's a reason to keep on waiting for Social Security. Now, here's another reason to maybe take it as late as possible. What if your spouse didn't work, right? If your spouse not getting a social security amount uh, on their own, well, then yours is definitely the higher amount. And if yours is the higher amount, that's the amount that's going to be the survivor. And so just like you might be encouraged to take it earlier, so your spouse gets the spousal benefit right away, it might encourage you to take it later so that there's a higher dollar amount for the surviving spouse whoever that person is. So there's a big kind of give and take up and up and down, tug and pull. But here's here's the last one to think of and we're, it's related to, a bit to the interest rates because a lot of people are asking about interest rates now. And to tell you what's happening next, uh, we're gonna answer some interest rate questions. But what if you like the 8% guarantees, right? Social security is designed to grow at 8%. And so that's not a bad place to be. It's is, not a bad return. Yeah, let it, let it grow by 8% and get a higher amount next year. That might be a reason to let you let you keep it uh, going, take it later on. So speaking of, of interest rates and things growing, people want to get as much as they can, a bigger return on their money when they invest it, when they buy something, say a treasury bill. What are treasury bills getting right now? Well, that's what's uh, interesting is uh, that's in the news. Two years ago, it was all about IMONs. Well, now it's treasury bills. Right. Treasury bills, uh, here we are fall of 2023, and they're getting above 5%. That seems like a pretty good interest rate. So everyone's saying, how do I buy a treasury bill? Well, we've got a link to an article. CNBC did an article about how to buy treasury bills uh, as you get above 5%. They even linked to an article that I did where I have some screenshots. Here's actually how you go and buy your treasury bill through a place called Treasury Direct. There's really two ways to go out and get treasury bills. Uh, one of them, then I'll talk about Treasury Direct first because I mentioned it first. But if you bought I-bonds in the last two years, 
you already have a Treasury Direct account. And you can go on there just like you bought the I-bonds. And this is what those screenshots I have on my site that I'll I'll link to it in the notes and all. You can go to your Treasury Direct account and just like you bought some I-bonds, you can buy Treasury bills. The plus side is there's no commissions, no fees, no worried about paying a, a broker or anything. Nice. Downside is you can only buy certain increments, four week, eight week, 13, 17, 26, and 52 weeks. You can only buy certain increments, although that's quite the gamut. You might be all right with all that. But another downside is what if you need to sell them early? What if you need to get out early? You mm. can't do that through Treasury Direct. So a lot of people now are buying Treasury bills through a brokerage account, right? You might have a brokerage account already through a place like Fidelity or Schwab or Vanguard, right? E-Trade, these places. I just went into my brokerage account and I clicked uh, the button that said trade. I found a place that said fixed income because that's what a treasure bill is. And then I clicked on search inventory and there was over a hundred thousand different bonds you can search for. All you have to do if you're looking for treasure bills is do look for the ones that say treasure bills. What's nice about the brokerage account is that if you want a, a bond that comes due in six weeks, well, Treasury Direct, you can't do that. You can only buy the four week or the eight week, oh, okay. right? But there's, it's called the secondary market. Somebody else bought it directly from Treasury Direct, right? Somebody else bought it directly there, right? A, a bank or a brokerage house, somebody. And you can mm -hmm. buy these bonds that are coming due and they'll tell you exactly what the interest rate is, you know, exactly when they're coming due. So there's a lot more flexibility with that brokerage account. There might be some fees with it, right? Although I looked and I uh, can't, can't promise it'll be like this for, for every place, but the place I looked said it was a $0 trading cost for US Treasuries online. Hmm. And so that's, that's pretty good, right? Yeah. So Treasury Direct is a good place to go if you already have that account and you know for a fact you're just gonna kind of let it run out. But if you want some more flexibility and the potential that you can maybe uh, sell it, get out of that Treasury bill early, you wouldn't wanna go through a brokerage account. Well, that's one way to get more, I guess, more interest on your money. What about some others now? Yeah, and we'll link to a uh, article that we wrote about this of how do you get more interest on your your bank money. Reuters asked me this. You know how do these rates are so high? Where do you go to get more interest? And I just looked at this a, a week ago for somebody, and the average savings account was paying 0.4. Oh, but the top savings accounts were paying almost five percent. We've got a interest rate rubric. I call it right. Just go through. And here's your interest rate decision process. The first question is really asking, do I have any debt, right? You, you might be wanting to get that four or 5% savings account or CD, uh, but if you have debt at 10 or 12, why bother? Go ahead and pay down that debt. That's probably the first place to look. Right. Or you're looking at the bank accounts and you're seeing you know, 5.5% for a, a one-year CD, something like that. Well, we just said Social Security might give you an 8% boost if you wait one year on Social Security. So maybe the best way to get more interest is to delay your social security. That's some places you ought to look first before you go to the high yield savings accounts, before you go to the fixed rate of I-bonds. We'll talk about I-bonds next. Before you go to get those treasury bills through Treasury Direct or your brokerage account. So uh, yes, you ought to go and get the highest rates that work for you, but take a look at some other places first, like paying down your debt, waiting on social security, and final thing just to say about how to get more interest on your money is a lot of these places that you get the higher interest on a money market, on a CD, these are through online banks. And I'll talk to clients all the time and they'll say, I just don't 
trust those online banks. I'd rather just go with my local bank, you know, kind of where I can see where my money's at. And then I'll ask them, how do, what do, you, how do you work with your online bank? And they say, oh, it's great. I've got this app on my phone. I can deposit my <laughs> checks. I get to see exactly what my balance is on my phone. And so that's what you're doing. You're using your local bank as an online bank. So you're already kind of used to that uh, already. So I guess uh, one way to keep the and get the better interest rates is to, to look at it at a, at a different way and go shopping for those better interest rates. And the online rates might be the best place to go. Uh, we'll have some links to uh, a few places that, to go in there. Wow. You've mentioned, you mentioned a lot of stuff there. I can't wait to go look at the links. Now, I-bonds, you mentioned those. What are I-bonds? What happened to them and, and what did they do for you? Yeah, I-bonds are famous for about two years. We'll see how yeah. famous they are uh, in the fall of 23 and going into 2024. They might get famous again because of something called the fixed rate. They were so famous because they're paying out almost 9% for an interest rate for six months at a time uh, on there with the inflation rate. But another key part of it is this thing called the fixed rate. And we'll see, that might be announced at a higher rate in November. We'll see how that works out. Mm -hmm. They might be kind of famous for a different reason. But here's the answer of how do you maximize my interest on these I-bonds, right? If I bought the I-bonds, when do I sell the I-bonds? And I want you to keep uh, kind of two things in mind. The first answer I'd say is you probably, if you're trying to get the most interest out of your I-bonds, you will probably cash them out three months after you thought you would. And here's oh. the reason why. Because if you cash out in the first five years, you're going to lose the most recent three year, three months rather. You're going to lose the most recent three months of interest. And if you are looking at dry bond and you say, wow, I got this really good interest rate. Six and a half percent is probably what the rate is roughly when you're, you're looking at cashing out. And then all of a sudden it drops down to, you know, four percent or so. You say, I want to get out of there. All right, I don't want that that rate anymore, and I'm going to cash it out. Well, when you cash it out, you're losing the three most recent months. So if your I bond dropped an interest rate today, and you cash it out today, the three months you're going to lose are the really good interest you wanted to keep, right? So if you yeah. don't like the interest you're getting in I bonds, you've got to wait the three months to let the low interest kind of hit your I bond, so that when you do cash out you end up losing the low interest, not the high interest. Okay. So that's the first thing to keep in mind is you want to lose your three months of low interest by looking at when does my I-bond renew at the low interest, wait the three months, then you can cash it out. That's how you get to keep all the high uh, rates on there. Good to know. Another thing to keep in mind is that your personal I-bond, the I-bond you bought has its own kind of six-month renewal cycle. A lot of people bought I-bonds in April and October because they saw what the next rate would be. If you bought your I-bond in April of 2022, it renewed in April of 2023 at about 6.5%. So when you saw that the new rates were below four, and you might've thought in May, oh my goodness, the new rates are below four, let me get out. Your I-bond didn't even renew until October, right? It might not even renew at the low rate yet. So fine when your I-bond actually renews, at the low rate, and you probably want to wait the three months so that you cash out the low interest. And that's why uh, CNBC actually linked to our articles. We had some charts. If you bought it on this month, here's the month when it renews. And then here's the month when you're actually cashing out your low interest, not your high interest. So we'll put links to all there too. We're answering these questions, Patrice. And I think the answer to a lot of them is do a little bit more research. You can't have just a, 
a blanket answer. And that's what we're trying to give is here's how you get the most interest on your money. Here's here's how you can make the the best decision on, on what to do with your with your money. Research and talking to a financial planner. That's right. I suppose that that's uh if you know what you're talking about, then <laughs> then the financial advisor ought to be a, a guide to you as well, too. All right. Now you've got a lot of money. Some of us might. Should I put it in the market right now? Should I put it all in the market? Should I put a little bit in now, maybe a little bit later? Yeah, that's our final question. And we hear that all the time. And where the answer I gave to Bloomberg, because they asked me that question, is there's a math answer and then there's a feeling answer. <laughs> and the math answer is just do it all at once. And think about it. If you invest your money today and look a year from now, three years, five years from now, every time you run the numbers, it says, hey, look, the market's up you know, 70% of the time over a year, right? Think about one year from now. Should I invest it today, tomorrow, right? 70% of the time, it's up a year from now. So why not throw it all in at once? If you look out 10 years from now, it's up 94% of the time. That's not a certainty, but it's pretty close, right? So the, the math answer is go ahead and put it all in right away. The day you have the money, go ahead and put it away. That goes a little bit against yeah. what's probably the feelings answer where you're afraid of making mistakes, right? You're afraid of doing the wrong thing. And so with that in mind, it's kind of thinking, I guess the I'll give you two answers. One is, are you somebody that just can invest on what the math says and take the feelings out of it? I'd like to meet you because I don't know if there's many people out there. <laughs> like Not that. when it comes to money in the market. Yep. So then if that's the case, then maybe just to invest a little bit over time is a better way to go. So my my thought, my my advice to uh, to Bloomberg is say, well, there's a math answer, there's a feelings answer, and you don't know which one's going to be right. Let's just bet 50% on each one. So maybe go ahead, put half the money in the market, say math-wise, it'll probably work out. And the other half, maybe invest it over the next uh, few months or so. That way, if the market goes down, you feel you feel good about it, uh, that you waited on some of it. The market goes up, you feel good that you put a, a lot of it in uh, right away. You'll never know. This is a, an answer that you'll never know until the end, right? I can tell you 30 years from now, which would have been the better one, you know, 30 years later. So that's why it's it's tough to make that question ahead of time. But so there you go. You got the math answer. You got the feelings answer. Maybe uh, instead of flipping the coin or choosing one or the other, go for both. You know, use half towards the math answer right away, half towards the feelings answer of uh, slowly over time with that dollar cost averaging right. is the term that you're, you're talking about there. Well, I think I like that 50-50. Yeah. Why not? You know, you, 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 right. I've got a, a coin. I like to flip a coin here to, to kind of just show how things might work. And, you know, if you, you know, if heads I win, tails I win, then that's okay. I'll take that. Right. <laughs> true <laughs> enough. True enough. Well, and thank you, Patrice, have, for, for walking gonna us through. You're going to have all these links, though, right? You're going to have all these oh, links. Oh, yes. Yeah. So we'll have links to the articles okay. that we uh, were quoted in. Uh, some of these uh, include some uh, articles that we've written, especially on the I bonds, where here's some charts on where you ought to go, or we've got that interest rate decision process. I've got an article there to say, if you're trying to get the best interest, think of these things in this order. That's a good way to, to go about it. Excellent. All right. I don't know if we've answered all the retirement questions out there, but I think we've answered the, the top retirement questions. At least these are the ones that we're seeing most often from the journalists that are emailing us, emailing to the different lists saying, these are the questions that they're getting uh, all the time. So thanks, Patrice, for, for helping walk us through it. Oh, my pleasure. And I've gotten some answers too. So now I know a couple of things I have to go research. All right. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad it was uh, fruitful for, for everybody. 
All right. Thanks, Patrice. And, and thank you for listening to the Retirement Reveal podcast. We believe if you know more about your money, you will feel better about your money and you will make better money decisions. This was another great episode of the Retirement Revealed podcast. Click on the subscribe button below to automatically get our latest episodes. If you liked our show and want even more, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We would love to hear from you. Please go to retirement-revealed.com to learn more and send us your questions and feedback. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Kyle Financial Partners, Thrivent, or its affiliates. The guests are not affiliated with or endorsed by Thrivent Advisor Network. Kyle Financial Partners does not provide legal accounting or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Kyle Financial Partners is part of the Thrivent Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have with your investment planning. Advisory persons of Thriven provide advisory services under a doing business as name or may have their own legal business entities. However, advisory services are engaged exclusively through Thrivent Advisor Network LLC, a registered investment advisor. Kyle Financial Partners and Thrivent Advisor Network LLC are not affiliated companies. Information in this message is for the intended recipients only. Please visit our website, www.kylefp.com, for important disclosures.